Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Today's topic, The Shadow, the film based on the Pulp Fiction character of the same name created in 1931 by Walter B. Gibson. The film stars Alec Baldwin, John Lone, Penelope Ann Miller, Ian McKellen, Jonathan Winters, Peter Boyle and Tim Curry. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. The Shadow, Jay, you seen this movie before? Yes, I have. Uh, I remember watching it back when it initially released. Uh, and this is the first time I've watched it since then. So it's been, it's been a little while. The same for me. I watched it as a kid. And the scene where Alec Baldwin pulls off his face didn't stay with me. And I'm glad of that fact. <laughs> so when I watched <laughs> it again for this rewatch, I watched, I watched it for the second time ahead of recording. And yeah, I wasn't prepared for that scene. Like the special effects in this movie, like it was at a time where they weren't doing too much CGI, relying still mainly on practical effects. And that scene of him peeling off his face, horrific. Yeah, yeah, it works really well, but it is, well, it is uncomfortable. It reminds me there was a comic called Colder uh, by Dark Horse, I believe. And one of the covers was a guy like, like sort of face palming but his face his hand was up through the tissue of his face and you could see the musculature underneath that was this it was and that was a horror comic for good reasons whereas this is a supernatural vigilante movie yeah um which what is your knowledge of the shadow in terms of comic books Oh, well, not too much, really. I've read a couple of crossovers. In recent years, didn't um, Scott Snyder do a Batman crossover with The Shadow? I've got a vague memory of that. And I think like years ago, I'd have seen some pulp crossover comics. I've never read a straight Shadow comic, but I've always been familiar with him as a character. Yeah, um, I've never read any of the stuff I, like yourself that was just The Shadow. Um, but what I do know is his influence on the medium. Uh, specifically, the reason why he was called The Shadow was because they're all aware of the shadow of war in the 30s of what eventually became World War II. That's how aware people were that there's something wrong with this Hitler guy in Germany and no one was paying any attention. Uh, at least governments weren't paying attention because they were still reeling from the horror of World War I. Um, and that's what a lot of the early stories were. Um, Gareth from, from Comic Zone, big fan of the characters, read a ton of the stuff. Um, and if, you, if he looks on paper a lot like Batman, that's because Bob Kane stole most of the stuff of Batman from the shadow, the Eastern teachings for his origin. The fact that he's like a, like a wealthy industrialist, that's where he gets his money. The, the sanctum, which is very bat cave ish. That's where they stole that from. Um, it's all elements that Bob Kane 
doll because I think I was thinking initially he actually wanted to write the shadow but couldn't the created Batman. Ah, that's cool. That reminds me. Yeah, so it reminds me of George Lucas wanting to direct Flash Gordon and he was told no, so he made Star Wars. He just went off his own thing. Yeah, um, and when you when you know that going in a lot of the elements start to become like, ah, oh, he worked from the shadows predominantly at night. His, um, his love interest, the, the fact he has a butler, um, he has a driver more than he has a butler, but I'm sure in the comics, the butler is more of a, a hands-on Alfredy type. The, the fact that he's, I mean, he has supernatural abilities, but he strikes from the shadows because it's it's you know he's he's not physically more than anyone else, um, and you know early you know the reason why Batman appeared in Detective Comics was initially he used guns for the first few issues. It wasn't until Batman, I believe Batman issue one, when he got his own actual title, that he they brought in the no guns rule because he was predominantly fighting gangsters. Um, so yeah, like modern comics has a lot to owe. To the shadow. It's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there is some slight differences because Batman is a man, whereas the shadow does have other abilities, like he has psychic abilities uh, that he somehow uses to alter his face to look like another person. And honestly, after watching this movie for the life of me, I was on the internet about how do they do this? What's going on? There's only one actor credited, but you think that that's no longer Alec Baldwin. It looks so much like somebody else. But from what I've found, it is a practical effect. I believe it's uh, it's face putty. It's an old technique. Ah. Because uh, this is before... The, the use of silicon, which is why he looks kind of aged. He looks he looks like Billy Baldwin. Yes, who's been, he does. Does <laughs> but yes. he's been in, yeah, but he's been in like the sun, or he's right. He's like looks a little waxy, and that's Sorry, because it listen, was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because of the heavy use of the prosthetics, because you could inject, you know, you put in, uh, is either that or foam latex, um, which is poor. It's it's airy because you need to be able to inject the eyebrows. Like, the, the way the eyebrows sit is exactly what William Baldwin's eyebrows look like. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll say this. For a pulp movie made in 1994, it works perfectly to disguise him as somebody else. But as well as having psychic abilities, another thing that he has, which I guess he's not a superpower, but he has a fiendish laugh, which... Yeah. I forgot he had that because you don't get that from the comic and I didn't remember it from watching the movie as a kid. But he, he does it a lot. And that's his thing to, like, to throw, I guess, his opponents off balance. Like, they're like, what is this? It's eerie. It's weird. There's the big shadow looming over them. There's the, the fiendish laugh. But they use it to great effect in this movie. Uh, before we get to it, um, I was, do- again, doing a bit of research and found... So the film was released in cinemas July 1st in 94 and received mixed reviews and was a commercial failure. Critics found the villain, screenplay and storyline lacking, but praised the film's direction, acting, special effects, visual style, action sequences and its music score by Jerry Goldsmith. And yeah, his music is phenomenal in this. 
This movie had a budget of 40 million, box office 48. So only a small margin for profit. Yeah, and they generally consider a film because of advertising is usually the budget again. A film has to double its uh, principal budget in order to be a, a success because they have to pay for their advertising as well. So on a budget of 40 million, they'd have to do 80 million before they started getting into the green. Anything shy is a bust. And that's why we've got one shadow film and and one only. Like maybe they made some serials back in the day, but theatrical movies, big budget. This is it. And in '94, you know the comparisons to Batman, Alec Baldwin. It looks like he would have made a good Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he's the costumes in this show, this film. I mean, it's set in the '30s. It's set before World War Two. In fact. The opening gives you a specific date. Oh, no, that doesn't. It just says seven years later. So you don't get a specific date, but from the comics, I know it's in the, in the late 30s. Um, that, that gives you away with the cars as well. Um, but the, everyone is dressed like a million dollars. Alec Baldwin's wearing predominantly suits, uh, tuxedos. His hair's always immaculate. Uh, his coat. The hat, because everyone still wore hats because it was pre-World War II. Um, the women are dressed like movie stars. They don't have casual clothing. It's all formal wear, and it's all amazing. They all have coats. They all have um, really beautiful shoes. Even when the villain gets introduced, the first thing he comments when he's talking to the shadow is, I really like your tie. Where did you get that? Midtown? And he tells him where he goes, like men's fashion. And man, it, it helps sell. These are upper class people in, a, in an era bef- like, which is quite affluent. And it works. The cars are clean. The city, New York, is clean-ish still. I mean, this is still when they're building those beautiful Art Deco skyscrapers and stuff. Um, you know, and yeah, it's... Alec Baldwin is that era. The slick, dark hair with the shining piercing blue eyes and that is batman yeah it looks like bruce wayne and he just fits the era perfectly so the the movie is set in 1930s as you said it's new york city the plot of the movie we have the shadow battling his nemesis shaiwan khan who is building an atomic bomb and khan is a living descendant of genghis khan which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, and it ties it ties into the whole Eastern uh, background for both characters because they both trained with the Tulku, and that's where they learned to sh- to cloud other people's minds and perception, where they learned essentially their their mystical abilities. Um, only Shuwan Khan is better with his then the shadow is Lamont Cranston, which is an odd name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently there's there's some differences between with the interpretation we get in the movie, apparently it's a combination of the radio show and the pulp magazines. So there's different names that he's gone by and Lamont Cranston is just one of those names. And I think that came from 
the radio show. Yeah, and um, I got to imagine this was a strong influence on on Superman as well because his main love interest is Margot Lane. And I did no read, proliferation. Yeah, but I did read that apparently she was meant to be the sister or cousin of Lois Lane, and this was you know to, we're talking like these characters had just been created: the Shadow, Batman, Superman. They were all very new. They were all in comics. I mean, you wouldn't get that today. You wouldn't just use Lane as a character's surname. But apparently it was supposed to be connected to Lois Lane. And obviously they went in very different directions. And then Superman just blew up as a, as a character. Yeah, which is insane to think of it these days. You'd ne- like you said, you'd never get it because... They both had very successful radio shows back in the day. Like, I mean, that's where a lot of Superman's uh, powers and lore was fleshed out as well. Like, I believe Kryptonite came from the radio show, not the comic books. Jimmy Olsen also came yeah. from the radio show. But yeah, it's um, it's it's so strange. Um, but that's just comics, I suppose. That's superheroes in general. Yeah. Um, the main villain, Shiwan Khan, played by John Lone. He he's great. Um, he's got the, the, they use contacts for him showing his like intense abilities and like they're quite they're oversized for his own eyes and they're quite piercing like like almost a red brown rather than black. But when he's influencing people, it it's, it works really well. His they put him in in the Mongolian regalia or what you know our cultural zeitgeist would call mongolian regalia um and it's great his, from his introduction when he shows up in the museum on the like straight away you're like who's this guy this guy's like intense like you know he's he's there with the actor who played alf's father alf's the dad on alf over the 80s uh max wright and he convinces Neelix from Voyager to shoot himself in the head, <laughs> who is the like museum guard. Yeah. You're like, that's his introduction. Recognized him without the Voyager makeup. Yep. Recognized yep. him straight away. That's Neelix. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I thought he thought I thought he was great. He he was imposing without being over the top. He wasn't corny ever. You know, he no. always seemed credible. Um yeah, he, and yeah. The fact that he wants, you know, he's kind of doing the, the Darth Vader Emperor thing of trying to like, I don't want to fight you. I'll, I think you're great. You should join me. We should, we should be in this together. He's trying to like seduce the shadow to be his partner in all of, in his scheme. And it, I'm like, cause he knows he's a, he's, they're one and the same. They both have black hearts, which is, Part of their shared history, which is which is interesting. Cause I I completely forgot the opening of this movie. That yeah, Lamont is essentially a bad guy. <laughs> you know, he's he's done bad things, and as you say, as well as Khan, he's got a black heart, and maybe that's integral to taking on these abilities. But it's essentially bad men doing doing good things. Yeah, and you know that's where the line like he knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men because he has an evil heart and knows what the temptations and the machinations of someone like that would be um, having lived it. Cause he was 
an opium dealer warlord. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you, you don't, that's not the standard origin story of a superhero. Like it's no, very... they start off yeah. as a warlord, like watering <laughs> me, like hundreds. It's got to be the only one, surely. You know, I was looking up the the director of this movie to see what else he'd done. Uh, Russell, uh, do you know how to pronounce his surname? Russell Mulkey. Mulca High. Mulca High. There we go. So Irish, but um, was born in Melbourne, Australia. Huh. And one of his big hits. He directed Highlander, the first one. Ah, great movie. Great movie, and I reckon that is a film we will one day get to. I'd love to rewatch Highlander and talk about it on the podcast. But yes, he did Highlander, and then a couple of years later, he did The Shadow. And since The Shadow, he's done heaps of um, TV, but I just want to give him a shout-out. And yeah, the the fact that he directed Highlander, that's pretty, pretty cool. I'm playing Margot Lane in this movie. We have Penelope Ann Miller, which is a name that I find very familiar, but I can't think of anything else she's done. I uh, I did a quick scour of IMDb page. She was like a quite a big thing at the end of the the eighties and throughout the nineties, um, because I I think because because she's like the girl next door, um, but you know she wasn't like a Kate, uh, not Kate. Um, Goldie Horn, uh, yeah, like a Goldie Horn or a um, a Kim Basinger or someone like that who was m- as ex- almost getting as expensive as what a male lead would be. Uh, she came in at a cheaper price point, so and you couldn't get if you didn't want or you couldn't afford one of the big A listers, you went Penelope Ann Miller because I can remember VHS um, trailers of my childhood you know blah 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 blah. penelope ann miller like it's a name that just like locked in the back of my head me too from all of these things i've seen just didn't know why and her character margot lane first appeared on the radio show yeah and she has she can kind of she, well, she can read lamont's mind the shadow's mind well she's got apparently she's got latent psychic abilities that she had when she was younger and then they reignited around lamont so that's that's bringing her ability back yeah um and you know her father dr reinhardt lane played by sir ian mckellen back before he was a sir (laughs) yeah well it's It's odd, isn't it? Going back to a movie from 94 and seeing... It's essentially Ian McKellen before he was Ian McKellen. I mean, he's fine in this, but it's very evident that this is an early film role for him. And again, he's fine in it, but this is not Gandalf. This is not my... And, you know, he's he's done, you know, dramatic performances, but I guess that's the touchstone of of this podcast. But, yeah, he's he's fine in this. He's good. Yeah. but he's just a plot device almost. He is, yeah. He, he needs to be the, the part that connects the villain's plan to the shadow and how he can possibly know and connect these dots. And yeah, he's very... It's, it's, Ian McKellen was already well-known doing uh, stage performance by this time, but breaking into movies isn't the same. <laughs> 
but he yeah, did, he's, he, did, he's, he did fine after this movie. He um, he built a career for himself. He got knighted. He did okay. Um, Moses, this is the butler type you're talking about. And this movie is a taxi driver. He's played by Peter Boyle, Frank from Everyone Loves Raymond. Yeah, uh, yeah, and he's he's a household name at this stage. But and he's great in this. He, just, he is. He's just a character guy, but you know, he's so in. He you know, he's like. He's a maniac behind the wheel of a very nice looking like cab. Like that's, you know, he doesn't have a Batmobile or anything like that. He has a single cab who always picks him up and ferries him around, but he's great. He's, um, he, he works for the shadow. He buys him completely. He's like a, he's like a fan, but he's still like the down to earth, like tells it straight. Um, really great. And the thing that the shadow has, he has agents everywhere, and they're all identified as wearing the ring, like the sign yeah. of the shadow. Yeah, and um, they communicate through a, a series of pneumatic tubes that go all over the city, um, which is you know very typical of the, the day. Um, and, and by using a catchphrase to be able to identify each other, the sun is shining, but the ice is slippery. <laughs> I like all that uh, stuff. And those tubes yeah, are very, ridiculous. They're so, yeah. so elaborate. And you're right, they really do go everywhere. Like how nobody's noticed that. What are these tubes that are all over the city? But I love it. I love that yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it works really, works really well. Um, and of course, he's not a name I'm familiar with, but playing the basically the chief of police and the uncle of the, sh- uh, the shadow is Wainwright Bath or, you know, chief wainwright bath played by jonathan winters and he's just typical like police guy he's a generic role yeah he's, he's just he's, he's there, in it a lot he, he is <laughs> yeah he is. well as he's essentially it's commissioner gordon if if he was also bruce wayne's uncle so he gets yeah double duties there so we get to see more of him but you know he's fine he's just as good as is it pat hingle in the Tim Burton Batman movie, yeah, yeah, is that kind of is that kind of role? Yeah, um, and you get to—he's the first person you see influenced by the Shadow as he uses his like mind uh, powers on him, and it does a great thing where suddenly he's in shadow except for his eyes; it's got the light across, but his it's eyes have cool gone brown. Visual. Yeah, it, it looks, looks so great, and that's all practical. That's that's actually like putting shadow on the actor and then using a second source of light to just go across the eyes. It's, it's very stylized, but it works brilliantly. Every time he used his ability, I like I, my face lit up. You know, it works here. You're right. It is very stylized and it works with this movie that was, that was released in 1994. Did you see, oh, it must've been how many years ago now, maybe eight years ago, the spirit. I did. Unfortunately, it's not good. Well, you can see no. they're going for something similar. They're doing something stylized. I guess that was more green screen, CGI heavy. But what they're doing here in Shadow is working more than what they attempted, you know, how many years ago? Yes, probably working with a smaller budget and with a lot more technological restraints. They did a lot more on the Shadow in 94 than the Spirit managed in what was it, 2009, 2010? Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, it was around about there. Yeah, 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 and that's just because Frank Miller aped 
Rodriguez's style for Frank Miller's work on a different yeah. character. Like, well, it worked for Sin City, and you know that first move was great. And then, yeah, I guess they tried to visually um, duplicate that. Um, another character I want to talk about: Farley Claymore, played by Tim Curry. How good yep. is Tim Curry just in general? Like nobody yeah. does sniveling better than Tim Curry, and he's great in this. I love the scene where he's already almost taken out the shadow by drowning him and you know Margot telepathically communicated with the shadow she saves him but he almost kills him and then later on Khan gives him a gun and he's just shocked like what do you want me to do with this and he just sends him off as if it's one of his henchmen I love it he's so good in this role yeah and straight away when you see him like they show that he's money hungry because he wants to turn the power research of Reinhardt Lane into a bomb for the War Department because it pays better. <laughs> and he then sees Margot, that his essentially his working partner's daughter, and is cracking onto her like a sleaze ball, like always looking at a at a chest, like ne- not so much his face. And you're like straight away, you know the kind of character he is because Tim He's Curry sells it right <laughs> off the bat. He, he really <laughs> He's the worst, but he, yeah. he does it the best. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's he's great in this, you know, and I completely forgot he was in it. So it was a nice, nice surprise. Yeah. We've talked about the special effects a bit already. Um, but again, when I was looking into like how did they do what they did with his face and before, you know, finding out that it's primarily prosthetics, what I did find one of the first box office attempts at facial substitutions, now this is using CGI, was in the movie, or was in a surf movie, Blue Crush. That came out in 2002. They pasted Kate Bosworth's face on a stunt woman doing the surfing. So in the Shadow 94, it's still prosthetics. They're doing a fade. But 2002, that's when they first attempted to just move someone's face to another. Yeah, and um, same with the shimmer effect for when he's like attacking people and he's kind of like almost like a smoke where he lures and you, he punches. Um, I mean, it's obviously wire work and stuntmen throwing themselves around, but that is that is old school. I got to imagine that's them actually digitally, like oh well, not digitally, like actually smudging him off the film things or post-production, which I had to do by hand. There's computers weren't a thing at the time. You couldn't just render them out off of using a clean plate. They had to do that back in the, if before 94, back, if this was in a few years earlier, it would have been almost cartoony looking special effects, which would have been a composite as they used to do them, which is a very involved process. I don't want to get into, but I'm like, it, it looks dated now compared to what you'd be able to do now, but it sells. It's a consistent visual style that they work, and he. You can see he's not there. He suddenly appears, and you can see what the motion was that he was doing. He was throwing across. He was throw. He was like punching them. He was locking or kicking them, and then he's gone. And it's, it's. It looks clunky by today's standards, but it looks great for a movie of the era. But the restraints they had. Yeah, it works. I don't know if it's being a child of the 80s, but I prefer this. I I appreciate this so much more now 
all these years later looking back on it because i mean today you know the you know for the most part the the effects look fantastic you know cgi they could do so much with it but there's something about this i just say there that that you can see that if someone is jumping in a shot or being thrown it's probably more than likely happening and it just it's the scenes just carry so much more weight so i really appreciate um what they're doing in this film like to get a lot of those practical effects. It's really entertaining to watch. They also uh, take the time from time to time to have him stand there with his cape swirling behind him for like the, the hero shot. And I know it's corny, but I love it every time. <laughs> and you know what? And when I'm watching it, it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, they showed it for too long now. And then they go a little bit longer. And I'm like, no, that was the right amount. <laughs> that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's great because why is he doing it? He's only standing there for the audience, so just enjoy it. <laughs> like it's really, it's cool. I um, I mentioned before the soundtrack. I mean, Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, one of the titans of film scores, and this it, it delivers again with this. You know, I didn't know until recently that he was the first choice for Superman the movie. He was held up doing something else. So they went to John Williams instead. But then years later, they got Goldsmith to do Supergirl. Yeah. Um, and he's also, he did all the big, uh, the original, um, cr- the original crew Star Trek movies. He was the composer on all of those. All of them. So they they used a variation of his theme, or I guess he came back and did something new for the Star Trek The Next Generation theme. That was him as well. Yeah, um, which is a phenomenal theme. I love that. But, you know, they you can see with the kind of talent they're getting involved, how much effort they're putting into this film. Um, yeah, set design, definitely, yeah. The set design is phenomenal, whether it was the... Uh, where the finale takes place at the hotel monolith, you know, so ridiculously art deco and over the top. Um, when it shimmers into place, well, you only see it from Alec Baldwin's perspective because he's the only one who can see through the illusion. All the interior works, the 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 Cobalt Club, where he tends to always turn up late to his to dinner with his uncle, like. I mean, it's all Art Deco, which I'm a massive fan of, but it's period correct. And all of it, I mean, I would people would still turn up to the places like this now um, if they were still available, which here in Perth, not so much. But I'm sure in New York, there's still plenty of these classic old clubs and bars with that old feel. And it, it, it's beautiful. Every 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 single shot of this movie... They've really thought about the composition, the the art design, uh, where you're leading. Every scene is a painting, and you know it's a lot of attention to detail. And I was never, I, I got distracted only because I was impressed at how good they all looked. So I'm like peeking behind the actors of like, oh, what's going on back there? That's beautiful. Look at that. Um, all of it's all of it's great. You know, I was looking into like outside of the original novels and the comics is there any other media where the shadow appeared and there was a video game version in the works for the super nintendo 
because the movie bombed, they scrapped it. Ah, what a shame. It's, I'm surprised they don't bring it back now because the pulp nature of the character, the, the abilities on a modern console would work so well. I mean, a third person shooter with some mystical elements. That's basically what the darkness video games were. Well, like you could do yeah. this in like a, a like a espionage pulp like um co- like a stealth stealth shooter it would work so well so you're right it would work as a game but i think it also worked like they could bring this character again whether it's film tv like there's there's more stories to be told with this character it sounds like like they cherry picks the main elements of the character for the movie but they, they could do something again but it's a character that's not been on screen since 94 yeah and he has you know such a long history in in comic books i think it would work i i think all characters someone out there has a take that will make them really stand out but with the with the error it is in with the 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 threat of war looming because that's the era in which he sets. I don't think you'd want to move him to modern time. It'd be like moving Zorro into the 2010s or the 2020s as we are now. Like why would a guy run around with a foil against like machine guns? It doesn't work, but well, you, you know put what? him in the correct era. Yeah. They're going to do correct it. Period. They're going to do a Zorro movie like in the future or present day, they're going to do it. You know, I was thinking like, cause so far on the podcast we've done, the Rocketeer, the Phantom, and now the Shadow. Like, who else haven't we done? And then you, you've given me the answer, Zorro. Yeah, we've got to do Zorro, the Mask of Zorro, Antonio Banderas, Anthony Hopkins, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, in the nineties, they seem to really be able to hit the pulp feel. Uh, the Mummy movies with Brendan Fraser set in a, a similar period. I mean, they just like they just seem to know how to get that old school spectacle. Like Indiana Jones probably set the bar, and everyone just followed on. Um, and I, this movie hits all those same bars. So uh, yeah. Okay, so I've also just added the Mummy to the list. So thanks for that. And okay, so <laughs> this movie, if if you're going to rate it out of five. I'd probably come in at a, probably about a three, a three and a half. Um, stylistically, really well done. The acting's off, great. Um, soundtrack, all of the elements of the movie are great. Where it falls down is probably the, uh, the story, in, not the overarching story. It's the connective tissue. When it starts off, you get its origin, which they quickly like give you a scroll text from it happening to skip the seven years later. I was like, Oh, we're not going to do a montage. Read it, read what his history is. And then I find that kind of brushing part, like they're missing the, the scenes between scenes. Like it's, it's done in a very typical, which was why superhero films up until Batman really struggled because they did it too much like a comic book of, Scene one, here's a villain. Scene two, here's a hero. Scene three, here's this hero's like alter ego. Scene four, and it, you, it, it, they didn't massage the elements together as well as they do now. 
and that's it that's my one complaint about this movie like the visuals all stand up everything else stands up it's just needed it just needed a little bit more massaging to take it to the next spot to make it an all-time classic and i think you know we mentioned it the mask of zorro managed it when the when that was made this one was just just a step behind so three out of five yeah i agree with oh three out of five i thought you'd bumped it to a 3.5 but okay so three out of five yeah a lot of the same points that you made there i'm also going to come in at a three out of five it is a movie that i would recommend it's a lot of fun um, it's potentially a gap in some people's uh, superhero cinema knowledge. Uh, it's not DC, it's not Marvel, but it's still a lot of fun. And hopefully it's a character we get to see again on the big screen at some time. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot going for it, you know. But yeah, I'll, I'll come in the same. Three, three out of five, it is, a, it is a fun watch. Well, that's it for our episode all about The Shadow. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Jay, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.